Welcome to episode 19. Today we're talking about transactional email and the importance of using a quality service provider. So with me, I've got Matt Ryback from Socket Labs. He's their head of community and developer relations. I really do believe uh, transactional emails are such a missed opportunity, whether it's system emails or order confirmations. They're all touch points with your customers, which should reinforce your brand and offer value. So let's hear a bit from Matt and uh, find out how you can do that. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the podcast. Um, can you t- tell us a bit about yourself, your background and, and why you do what you do. Sure. So I'm the head of the head of community and developer relations at Socket Labs. Um, so I've been at Socket Labs for a little over seven years now. Uh, we're an email service provider. So we, we specialize in helping deliver transactional and marketing email. And like I said, I've been here for seven years. I started off in customer support and deliverability. And then um, worked a bit in software development and kind of culminated in this uh, role I have now as the, the head of community and software developer relations, which kind of combines all those skills, um, the technical aspect, the customer service aspect. And um, now, now basically what I, I do is uh, just help our customers and developers be as successful as possible with our platform. In a standard day, I, I could be doing uh, any number of activities. Uh, my, my role is kind of cross-functional, so I could be doing anything from improving our documentation, a sales call as a technical representative for Socket Labs, or speaking with customers and helping them onboard with our platform, uh, giving them advice for how, how to integrate their, their email systems uh, in the best possible way um, to maximize their potential for success. Um, and, and then I'm also involved in helping build a, a community uh, around Socket Labs of happy customers and, and users and helping bring them together so that they can help make each other more successful as well. This sounds like quite a varied role then. Uh, yeah, a, absolutely. A lot of different things to do. Um, cool. So tell us a bit more, more about Socket Labs. Um, I, I want to kind of particularly focus on the transactional email. Tell us a bit about what you guys do and, and why is it important for a company to choose uh, you know, a reliable service provider. Sure. So Socket Labs, uh, we're an email service provider and we, we specialize in the email delivery aspect. So, um, sending outbound email, um, we do both transactional and marketing. Um, but this conversation, we're going to focus around the, the transactional email primarily. So, uh, what we help you with there is, um, we provide the infrastructure, um, meaning, you'll be sending it out of our IP address, uh, whether that's a dedicated IP address if, if you're sending enough email or um, a shared IP address if, if you're kind of uh, starting off on the smaller size and, and need to pull your reputation together with uh, other smaller senders. Um, we also help you um, optimize your email authentication um, like DKIM and SPF as well as DMARC um, and other newer technologies and just make sure you're doing everything possible to give yourself the highest chance to hit the inbox. Um, and then the, the reason why it's so important to, to use a service provider when it comes to transactional email is that often a transactional email is going to be one of the first experiences that someone has with your company or your organization. So they're, they're much more likely to engage with this email, open it up, click on the links inside, everything like that. So it's, it's very important to make sure that that this email reaches that recipient and uh, using a reliable provider like Socket Labs can uh, help make sure that you're reaching that recipient the, the first time. If someone's launching a new business or possibly looking to you know, migrate from a, a, re- or re- 
uh, or reorganize their current setup um what what are the key things they should consider when you know picking their provider or uh, or actually getting things uh set up so a, a few things that that you want to take into consideration is um what kind of help they'll provide in terms of getting you set up, uh, especially if, if you don't necessarily have the technical expertise to set up all the authentication by yourself. Uh, you'll you'll want a service provider that can kind of make it easy either through their platform or by providing you like direct assistance um, over the phone or online chat or something like that. Um, you also want to find a provider that, that you'll be able to grow with. Um, so you, you want to make sure that it's a platform that, that can scale and, and grow as, as your business does. Um, whether that's the, the plan level that you're on, the, the number of messages or, or contacts that, that you have in your mailing list, um, you'll, you'll definitely want to find, you'll want to start with a provider that, that you'll be able to stay with for the long term because it, it's, it's much easier to grow with a provider than it is to migrate from one to another. You mentioned kind of growing with the provider there. Um, can you give some, examples of, of of what that really means and why why some platforms might not be uh, good for growth as as you're looking to grow with a with a new provider some of the biggest things to take into consideration will be do do they allow you to set up multiple streams of email so for instance if if you're sending both transactional and marketing email through the same provider you'll you'll want to be able to separate those either onto a separate IP address or some other means of separating them that that way if you send out a large marketing campaign and and something happens with one of the receiving mailbox providers say gmail doesn't like your marketing campaign and they they start to slow the messages coming from your ip address you you want to be able to have uh, a separate mail stream a separate ip address to be able to deliver your transactional email without without being impacted by your marketing email so you definitely want a provider that that can help you separate mail streams like that. And you'll, you'll also want one that, that just allows you to um, like easily increase the number of messages that you're sending or the number of contacts that you're storing in the system with, without, without um, shutting you off once you reach your limit. You want to be able to, if, if you have something go viral and you suddenly get a lot of traffic and you have a lot of transactional messages going out, uh, a lot of people are ordering your new product, you don't want to. You don't want your email to get shut off as soon as you reach whatever your plan limit is. You need some sort of safeguard in place that allows you to go over that limit and um, fi- figure things out in the in the future, rather than um, having to scramble and get yourself back up and running as soon as you hit the limit. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you, you want to look for a provider that can can work with you at the, you know, maybe hundreds of emails a week or a month. You know, maybe thousands, but is well positioned so that if you do, uh, you know, if you do grow to that stage where you're at maybe a million people a month, um, you've kind of just, you just scale up with them rather than having to worry about new plans and, um, and sorting out those different IPs and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what are the kind of common myths? Well, probably not myths actually, but misconceptions about transactional email. So one one common uh, misconception that I, I see all the time is that a transactional email has to be boring and straightforward, uh, that it just has like exactly the information that the customer is expecting and uh, doesn't have much else beyond that. Um, I, I think 
transactional email, since it is so so much more likely to be engaged with, it's a, it's a great opportunity to add additional information beyond just um, whatever the the basic point of the email is. So, for instance, if it's a if it's like a subscription confirmation, that's that's your chance to give them more more information about what they can expect to receive in future emails from you. Or you can offer like a, a discount if you're in the e-commerce space, uh, say a 10% discount for their first order. Um, whereas if if it's more of a, a receipt type email or an order confirmation, um, this is your chance to personalize it and provide information like uh, estimated delivery date or an itemized list of the, the products that were in the order or um, even uh, maybe recommend some complimentary or similar products. So for me, there's, there's a bit of a difference between behavioral emails, which is more like the welcome email saying, you know, thanks for signing up, um, get a discount off your first purchase. And then there's a transactional email, which is like what you said, uh, you know, there's order confirmations and receipts and things, and maybe some other emails related to your account. Kind of depends what, um, what the products and services, you know, a subscription service might take the opportunity to send your uh, kind of invoice every month. You know, some websites do, some don't. Um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever received uh, that that receipt from Netflix, for example, or Spotify. And I imagine part of it is because they think, well, there's no real value in it. Um, actually, all you might do is remind someone to cancel. But I think there's great opportunities to say, um, you know, ask people to personalize their account or something. You know, at, add little bits of information and say, did you know you can enhance your experience by doing this? Um, and so on transactional email, I think you get, what I see is businesses going in one of two directions. And it's either, like you said, those boring emails, which is literally just quite, generally quite unbranded, like gray background, uh, black text. And it's just, this is your order, uh, contact custom service if, if this isn't correct. Or there are those brands which go kind of, all out here's your order confirmation but while you're here follow us on social media sign up for our blog uh, do this do that and they just kind of try and hit you with every other opportunity that they want you to take as quickly as possible and actually i think there's kind of a, a middle ground that very few companies do which could be something like you know here's your order confirmation by the way you've got 24 hours to make a change uh, before we deliver or start packaging. Um, if you need to make any changes, you can. Here are some uh, related products that you might like. And it, it obviously depends on what, what your business is. But, you know, for example, I always use this, this example. You know, if, if someone buys a printer, um, but they don't buy paper or ink, there's n no reason why that couldn't go in the email. And they say, did you forget this? Do you need to add this to your, to your order? So I think there's opportunities there for to add value um, to the customer. You've just got to be careful that you don't just come across as marketing and salesy. Um, yeah, you, you definitely need to find a good balance there or or else, um, like I said, this is going to be the first impression you leave um, in many cases or um, it, it, at the very least, it'll be the, the most recent impression that a customer sees of your business. So you definitely don't don't want it to come across as like, uh, this is a, a pure sales opportunity here. It, it definitely needs to be providing value to the customer. Um, that's that's always going to be one of the most important things in, in email, whether marketing or transactional, is making sure that the customer is receiving some kind of value from your email. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's got to be, 
the primary function needs to be what that customer expects from it. So if it's a receipt, it's, it's you know the details of the order. If it's confirmation that they've changed their password, that's you know that should be the main thing in that email. A- any other misconceptions? So this one, um, this one is kind of important to understand, uh, especially depending on like which country or continent you live in. But um, some people assume that if someone has a, a transaction with you that results in an email that now they're on your list and you're free to contact them um, with any kind of promotional emails that you want. And um, this may be legal in some places that may not be in others, but it's never really a good practice to just opt in someone based on um, doing one transaction with you. Obviously if if the transactional email that we're talking about is the subscription confirmation and they, they click that link that that's not what, what I mean here, but say, um, any other type of transactional email, whether it's like a an, their first order, if they're not specifically opting in to start receiving promotional emails fr- from you, you you shouldn't just assume that they opted in because they made one transaction with you. Um, so that's another big mistake that I, I, I see quite often. Yeah, and no, I agree with that. Um, obviously, with things like GDPR, and uh, there, there's a few bits out in the States now, I think. Um, there was one in California recently, I believe. Yeah, California has one. Uh, I think Nevada has one as well. And then Canada has the uh, CASL, which yeah. I think is, is the Canada anti-spam laws. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're all kind of going down that route of uh, y- you have to have a specific opt-in to, to marketing. You can't just assume it um, e- even through some sort of other positive interaction with your business, such as a purchase. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know there are a few, kind of a few ways. It's not exactly getting around it, but you know, if your business is basically a newsletter, then obviously that's something that doesn't have to get that opt-in. Um, you know, there's a an email, a newsletter I get uh, called Jack's Flight Club. Uh, I think there are some similar ones in the US. Basically, sends out uh, deals for for flights, uh, tickets. I think once a day, once or yeah, once or twice a day. And that obviously, that is his business. Um, I don't actually think there's a website you can go to and find these deals. So that's where you know, he doesn't actually have to get a specific opt-in. Um, but outside of that, even a lot of affiliate businesses now, like the voucher businesses, which tend to, to focus around their email list, I, I, yeah, I think they, they would need to get opt-ins now as well. Yeah, I believe so. Um, so what are, the, what are big, some big or common mistakes you see when people uh, deal with their transactional email? So um, some of the mistakes that, that I see are um, not personalizing it enough. Um, sometimes, like you said, it's just this completely generic uh, black text on a white or gray background. Uh, you barely even know who sent it to you unless you read the, the from address. Um, so it, it doesn't necessarily have to be this elaborate uh email with lots of pictures and calls to action all over the place, but they, they should definitely have some sort of level of personalization to it, whether it's, um, you know, acknowledging the, the person's name or email address in the, in the message or some kind of personal information in the subject line or in the message body itself, like a, a detail about the transaction that happened. Um, any sort of personalization is better than none, in my opinion. Um, of course, there there are certain situations where it's probably just not necessary. If it if all you're doing is um, 
confirming that someone um, unsubscribed from your list or something like that. You don't necessarily need to, but even still, you could you could say like your email address and list the the email address has unsubscribed from the list. So, in in most cases, there's some opportunity for personalization in the email, and I, I think it's usually a a good strategy to do that if you can. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even in those unsubscribe emails, um, just because someone's unsubscribing, it doesn't necessarily mean they are completely done with your business. Um, so there's still an opportunity there to you know, to send them a, just a nice message, you know, kind of like a goodbye, hope you come back sort of thing. Um, you don't need to just send them an email saying, cool, that's done. Bye. Or not even bye. You know, you normally just get a, a confirmed you're unsubscribed. Right. Um, although I know, I, I don't know if it's a GDPR thing, but I, I do, ha- I had some discussions a couple of years ago around this and it was actually whether, you should send an email confirming someone had unsubscribed and whether that counted as whether that would be in breach of the regulations because you're emailing somebody who's unsubscribed, but you know, it's a transactional email. So I would have thought most people would, would be fine with that or even appreciate it. Yeah. And again, as long as it's honored, I think it's okay. Um, it, if, if you get that confirmation that you're unsubscribed and you're still receiving emails from them beyond that, I think that's when it becomes a, a bigger problem. Yeah, definitely. What about, uh, are there any kind of more technical mistakes people can make? Yeah, in terms of technical mistakes, I think the, the biggest ones would be either not properly authenticating your messages, um, using the, the latest uh, email authentication technologies, so what you what that means is um, signing your message with DKIM domain keys identified mail, which uh, basically uh, guarantees that the message content and um, the the from domain uh, in the address and things like that have not been altered uh, in during the the transit of the message. Uh, more and more receiving mailbox providers are really looking for these type of things to be present in all all the messages that you're sending. And uh, it's one of the keys to ensuring deliverability and building a reputation, especially with the largest providers like Gmail, Microsoft, uh, and Yahoo. What are your thoughts on, uh, because I think you mentioned uh, validation there. So what about things like um, getting people, you know, sending that email confirmation link? So asking people to click the link to, to verify their email and using uh, tools that do it you know, on, on the actual sign-up itself. Uh, so when people enter the, their email, do, do you have any kind of preference to which you think people should use? Or do, do you think they both have their place? Yeah, I think they both have their place. And it kind of depends on what, what your goal is in the, in the process for um, taking that email address. Um, is it just to make the the sign up as easy as possible for the actual user, or is it to make sure that your your data is as accurate as possible? I think you might take a different strategy in those two cases. So, if you if you're um, if you let them enter any email address and the, the way they confirm it is to um, go into their actual inbox and click on the link there, um, you're pretty much guaranteed that if if that person receives it and clicks the link that that it's definitely that person and that they are like truly opting in to receive your email but also it it leaves lots of room for 
that person could just enter a typo, uh, type their email address or domain wrong when they're entering it in your form, and you're you're probably going to lose them right then and there. Whereas if if you're using uh, one of the validation services, um, someone like a Kickbox, um, then in that case, you'll be able to warn them ahead of time. Hey, this doesn't look like a valid email address. Is did you enter a typo here? Um, so you're more likely to record um, an accurate email address that way, but it, it increases the the friction up front for the user. So I th- I think really there's definitely a place for for both methods, and it kind of depends on uh, the the flow that makes the most sense for your business. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I'm. I'm definitely more of a fan of the the validation on on site. Um, so you know, like using Kickbox, for example. Uh, I just think I would I'd rather have. I mean, obviously you can use both, but I'd rather have a correct email typed in um, because you know if that email address is wrong, you're still going to try and ping the uh, that email verification link over, and then you're going to yeah. have a bounce. Um, but then I think you need to consider with those verification links, you know, as with any email, there's going to be a number of people who don't interact with it. Um, you know, it might go to the junk mail. They might, might just not open it and might not click it. And then what do you do with those people? Do you say, well, they're not confirming, so we don't add them to our list? Or do you say, well, the email address is correct because it got verified on the page and and we have landed that email, so we're happy to keep it. And then it, I, I guess it comes to that grey area of, uh, um, you know, those marketing permissions. Is is it actually the person who who owns that email account who signed up? Yeah, definitely. Um, so one thing I've seen is some companies they call those like a lukewarm email address or some, something along those lines, and they they treat it a little bit differently. They they might send it one or two promotional emails or um, other things like that. But if, if there's still no engagement, if they still haven't verified the email address, then it, it's probably not a good idea to continue to, to send emails to that address, at least until it gets verified. Um, you might want to keep it in your system for a possible like re-engagement campaign or something like that in the future. But I, I wouldn't uh, continue to contact this address that has never uh, clicked the link in your first email to confirm. Um, like like you said, it could lead to further deliverability issues or bounces or things like that in the future. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting idea, actually. I hadn't thought of that. So assuming, because I would always I would always uh, push to have you know something like Kickbox in place on on sign up just to to make sure at least it's a correct email. Um, but if people yeah, t- kind of segmenting those people who don't click it, putting them in a yeah like a warm email or list or whatever, or, uh, you know, uh, almost like an orange flag on them or something to say, you know, it's a genuine email address. We're just not sure if it's actually them or something, sending them a few promotional emails, but just really monitoring the, the interaction engagement with them. And if you're getting loads of people who don't eat, don't open, don't click, then you can quite quickly just remove them um, from your list. Or maybe maybe run some sort of uh, verification campaign on it, um, you know, incentivize it or something like that. Yeah. Just another one on the, the kind of technical setup aspect of it. What about no reply emails? What are your what are your thoughts on that? You know, when when people brands send out emails uh, with a no reply at their domain. Uh, th- there's definitely some debate around this topic. 
I'm I'm uh, on the camp where I I don't think it's a good practice in today's day and age, especially with how easy it is to set up a, an inbox that can kind of auto automate uh, receiving emails back and sort them and filter them based on uh, the the content inside or like what what type of um, content you're expecting to receive in reply to that address. So so even for things as basic as like the the confirmation of signing up for the list or the password reset. If it's coming from a no reply address and the the customer has a question, well, uh, then they it puts more more onus on them to find out how to contact you, whether that's going to to your support site or your your website and finding the support email address. Whereas if if you just had that from address in the first place, then they can just click reply. It'll go into to your system somewhere and you don't have to have someone monitoring every single message that comes from what, what would be a no reply email address, um, constantly checking every, every minute of the day or anything like that. But I think it is helpful to have someone go through every once in a while. Um, and just make sure that there's no, there's no legitimate questions or, um, concerns from your customers in, in those type of messages. So, uh, so, yeah, sorry, I lost my, my train of thought there. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fan of them. I don't really see many cases where, where I think they should be used. You know, I, I wouldn't expect to get many responses to a, just a kind of newsletter or marketing email unless you, unless you kind of, I don't know, phrase, phrase something or put a question in there which actually... Uh, just happens to generate loads of responses and people don't realize that it's not a real question or something. Right. Um, so there's no reason for those not to go to support, like you say, and actually, yeah, with like the email verification and stuff, those transactional emails um, and verification, there's an opportunity for someone to say, this isn't my email address. I don't know why I'm receiving this. And even on like order confirmations, uh, you know, people could respond to that and say, I've messed up my order. Um, how, how do I, how do I change this? And a lot of companies tend to put, a, you know, their customer service uh, email address in the body of the email when it could just be a, you know, a case of hit and reply. Right. Uh, I'm not a fan of companies who do that. I actually, um, I got a response from a customer support not too long ago and I tried to respond and it was only when I received the bounce that I realized that they were using a no reply email for their support for some reason. So I don't know if that was just some sort of error. Can you just on that, on that topic, um, and regarding like custom services and stuff, how easily could you set up different email addresses for different transactional emails or different types of emails? Yeah, I, I think, I think it does make sense to do that in many cases. Um, depending on what type of email you're sending. And like you said, instead of using a no reply, if you're using a real address, um, you can kind of tailor that based on who you want the response to come back to if, if someone does reply to the message. And then another benefit to using a, a different email address for different types of transactional or promotional mails would be um, if, you're, if you're sending enough you, you could even be generating some reputation on that specific from address, um, even beyond just your, your domain or your IP. So 
yet you could be with your transactional emails, you could be generating a, a, a positive reputation with some of the mailbox providers uh, just on that very address itself. And th- that could be very beneficial, especially when it comes to things like ensuring the deliverability of your transactional emails and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a really good point though, actually. Um, yeah. You get that uh, reputation boost, don't you? Do you, do you think there are any, I, I guess with things like GDPR and, and that Californian uh, law and, you know, the way consumers are, are behaving differently and their expectations, do you think there are going to be some like big trends in uh, transactional email in the next kind of 12, 18 months? So I think people are definitely going to need to be more and more careful about who, who you're contacting, making sure that it is the, the right email address, and then also what data you're storing about that recipient after you've contacted them. So um, you, you want to make sure that if you do have any personal information beyond their email address, that it, it's something that, that they'll be able to contact you about and remove if they choose to, and, and that you're, you're not doing anything with, with their data that, that they didn't specifically give you permission to do when they... Um, made that original transaction with you. What about in terms of like the marketing use? Um, like kind of we discussed earlier, but uh, well, not necessarily marketing use, but uh, I guess the way the transactional emails are actually used by businesses, do, do you see any changes coming? Yeah, I, th- I think um, especially in, in the next uh, 12 months, like you said, there's a, a lot of opportunity for making these transactional emails um, even more interactive. Um, so one new technology is called AMP for email, which kind of allows uh, JavaScript to, to run right inside of your emails. And it, it allows for like even higher levels of interactivity, call to action and th- things like that that were never really possible before. So I, I think that's, that's uh, one of the most interesting new trends and technologies to me. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how people can creatively uh, work that kind of thing into their transactional email. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that does sound pretty cool. Uh, could that so could that involve like people kind of providing more information straight through an email? Yeah, so it could be something as simple as um, if if you want someone to like rate their transaction with you, and you put like you know one, two, three, four, and five stars, and they can click on that, um, and then you know it'll show it'll like show like, thank, thank you for your review, or they could maybe even type some feedback right into the email. Yeah, there, there's so many, so many opportunities here that it, it's, it's hard to even uh, figure out what, what the best way to take advantage would be. So honestly, one, one of the things I like to do is I just go through my own, my own email promotion folder and um, just look, look at what different companies and brands are sending. And it's a great way to get inspired on on what what some of the new trends are, or if something is effective towards me as a consumer, maybe maybe, maybe it's something that I could start um, taking into consideration for my own emails that I'm sending out. Yeah, definitely. I really like the idea of the reviews. Actually, um, I think that has been mentioned to me before. Yeah, the ability to just say all you've got to do is type your type your response in and hit and hit five star, or hit you know, the number of stars, uh, and that's the review. You haven't got to worry about people. Click, clicking through to your website, logging in, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it, it just removes a lot of friction from some of these things. Yeah, I think um, I can imagine businesses like Trustpilot and FIFO getting on that um, and trying to get on that quite soon. Because if they can 
detect your email, I guess, detect your email address, know that you have an account, they should be able to apply that uh, that review to the to the relevant uh, merchant. I would have thought that would that be a huge, you know, extra va- extra value piece for them as well, extra selling yeah. point. Um, cool. So, do you do you personally have any like, pet peeves when it comes to marketing? Sure. So, yeah, this one we've kind of discussed a little bit already, but one of my biggest pet peeves is when when I I haven't opted into uh, receive marketing or promotional email and and uh, a company just. Uh, start sending me that kind of stuff anyway. Um, so I definitely, I definitely think it, it's very important to get an explicit opt-in before you start sending promotional email. The I feel like in most cases, the damage done to your business by contacting angry customers, impacting your deliverability negatively, it's probably going to be worse for you than uh, what benefit you might get from maybe um, finding one or two cold customers who who are, are suddenly happy to start receiving those email. So th- that's probably my biggest pet peeve is um, not confirming an opt-in and just uh, contacting immediately. Yeah, d- yeah, definitely. Um, I think everyone's probably annoyed by that. Um, I actually shared on LinkedIn not too long ago um, an image from a site which said um, in order to access their site, you had to sign up, you had to create an account, and you had to opt into marketing. It just wasn't an option. Um, just as part of registering your account, you were opted into marketing, uh, regardless of. And this is before you've actually really seen anything, so you don't even really know if you're if you're keen to to receive the emails from them. So I, think, I thought that was particularly uh, bad bad user experience and bad sign up process. Yeah, and I think some of this stuff comes from um, the metrics that. Uh like marketers and sales teams are are using where it's just we we want to get as many email addresses as possible and we don't we don't care what what we do to get those or or how the recipient is actually going to react to our email like right now we just want to show that we're sending more and more emails um and that's not always the the best way to to use your email marketing program yeah it's definitely a focus on just kind of getting that acquisition trying to get the sale as quickly as possible and not really focusing on that long-term uh, customer journey and trying to keep people happy and building value over time. Right. Yeah, exactly. Cool. And uh, just finally, if there's a, is, is there a particular marketing tactic? Uh, I don't think we'll go a channel. It's too broad. Uh, yeah. A particular tactic that you, you'd like to see killed off other than four stop tins. Sure. Yeah. So this, this one, uh doesn't really have much to do with email, but just the whole, um, the clickbait type articles that are being uh, written all over the internet where the there's like a, a catchy headline or maybe a controversial headline. So you it makes you want to click the article and then you actually go in and try to read it and there there's more ads than actual content or the, the content is like barely thought out. Um, you have to click through two or three pages. It's like, one paragraph per page. Um, so, and it, it's all just a, a way to get more ads in front of you. Um, that's probably one of my least favorite marketing tactics. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I, I do, I, I see, you know, you see it mainly with the media, obviously. Um, I do kind of feel sorry for them because they've got themselves locked into a, uh, I guess almost like a freemium model. Um, the expectation is that the news is available on these sites for everyone. And so they have to, and they have to fund that by ads because they can't really charge for it because they've just 
they're so far down that road yeah. um, and because of that they then have to produce more quality more content which is of lower quality which means people won't want to pay for it which means they are stuck in that in that process um and then they put ad blockers on there oh, sorry anti ad blockers um so you go all right fine i, I want to read this article uh, you you unblock their site and then suddenly ads are loading everywhere um and it's I, I don't know how it is in the us but over here it's particularly bad in my opinion in sports it'll always be uh you know this club on the verge of signing a shock player or something like that and they're like all right that's my club i really want to go find out what this is and it'll just be it'll, it'll actually be just rubbish and probably made up but you've had to go through that process of of unblocking them dealing with the ads loading and everything just to go oh okay yeah whatever yeah yeah it's it's pretty similar here in the united states um and then on top of on top of the ads and all that you have to dismiss the the cookie warning then you have to uh dismiss the the pop-up that's asking you to sign up for the email list and videos auto playing videos that follow you around the page as well yep yeah, yes, yeah, specifically that that email list one. I think like no one no one's going to go to your website and instantly sign up to your email list before they even like scroll scroll around, read your article, like click on a page or two. So I I definitely don't think that um asking a asking someone to opt into your email list after they've been on your site for a few minutes is bad, but um having that be the first thing they see when they come on there, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I know there's a lot of, there's a bit of conflicting uh, thoughts on that, um, whether it should be, but I, dep- I guess it depends on what business you are. You know, for a news site, it doesn't make sense. Um, I know in e-commerce, uh, a few people have a lot of success with showing it straight away because they also, you know, offer the discount. Yeah, yeah, that makes um, so sense in, really in the well. e-commerce space. Yeah, One place I see that a lot is like recipes. Uh, I've, I, uh, you know, go to look at a recipe and they want me to sign up for their email list right away. Yeah. Um, let me at least like cook the meal first and see if I like it. <laughs> or at least read the recipe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Well, this uh, really great stuff. Thanks. Thank you for joining me. Um, if people want to contact you or find out more, uh, how would they do that? Sure. So I'm on Twitter. Uh, just my, my name, Matt Ryback, R-E-I-B-A-C-H. I don't tweet as much as I would like to. Uh, it's kind of a, a mix between uh, email stuff, technology stuff, and um, a lot of sports. I'm a, a big fan of the NBA and particularly the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, but that's probably probably the easiest place for anyone to reach me. Um, there's, I also have some content on Socket Lab's blog. Um, a lot of mine is more about software development and technical content, but we have a lot of stuff on there about deliverability and tra- transactional email as well from some of my colleagues at Socket Labs. And um, we also have a, a webinar series that's been going on throughout the, the summer that's led by my colleague, Brian Godixon, who's the, the manager of uh, deliverability and compliance at Socket Labs. So the, the next webinar coming up is on August 6th. And that, that one is uh, about managing your email reputation and that's going to be done with um, Brian Godixon from Socket Labs and Lauren Meyer from Kickbox, who I, th- I think you had on your podcast recently. Yeah, yeah she was on a few weeks ago. Yep. Yeah, really really good, uh, really interesting stuff on deliverability. So anyone can sign up for that at SocketLabs.com slash webinar. And all the previous ones uh, are on our website as well. 
Cool. I will. I'll, I'll make sure to get that link on the uh, on the customers who click website as well. Great. Cool. Well, thanks for that, Matt. But yeah, thank you so much, Will. So as you heard, there's loads of value you can offer your customers through transactional email. Uh, they don't have to be bland and boring. You can use them to upsell, cross-sell, let people know all the details of their subscription, not just their plan name and price. Tell people all about the shipping info they uh, they want. You know, Give them a tracking code, tell them roughly how long it'll take. Uh, give them info on you know whether they can have a certain time limit for changing their order. Um, and obviously let people know how to get in touch with you to, to do that. Lots of brands make transactional emails, no reply, but it just doesn't make sense really. Um, you know, the transactional emails are, are the ones that your customers care about the most because they're the most relevant to them and their, their purchases. So they're much more likely to reply to those than your weekly marketing blast. So let people know that they actually can. Don't just make it a not no reply. Uh, you know, actually say, please respond to this email if you've got any questions. So go away, have a think about the transactional emails you send and how more value can be gained by both parties. Just remember, uh, there are plenty of data protection laws out there and all all this marketing stuff like uh, GDPR. So you do need to be careful, make sure the content is really relevant and and subtle, be subtle about it. Uh, If you turn them into marketing emails, you're just going to end up on the wrong end of a big fine. If you've got any questions about transactional email, head over to the Socket Labs website or reach out to Matt. Or as usual, you can drop me an email to will at customswhoclick.com. In the next episode, I've got Peter Carter on to talk about Facebook and Instagram advertising. But until then, keep those customers clicking. <laughs>